1: With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore.
2: Tariff talks underway at the U.S. Trade Representative Building. What will Bob Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin tell Chinese Vice Premier Liu He? It's all happening now. We will bring you the latest as it happens. President Trump saying earlier today that a trade deal with China is possible. But the clock It's striking down to midnight, tick-tock, and should that clock strike midnight, those tariffs that are already at 10% set to be jacked up to 25%. Wall Street's on edge. They are on edge. Meanwhile, we are also carefully following the latest on the investigations coming out of Capitol Hill. What does it mean for Donald Trump Jr.? I thought that he thought that he was done with this. It's still continuing. We have an all-star panel with us To break down the politics, the policy on this, thank God it's almost Friday Eve. Shannon Pettypiece, she is my colleague uh, as well as friend. And she is a Bloomberg News uh, senior Washington uh, reporter as well as Bob Kuzak, my former boss, now he's still the editor-in-chief at the Hill newspaper. He's still keeping a careful watch to make sure I don't say anything too stupid. And Dave Brown, Democratic strategist and former advisor to Senator Patty Murray. Before we get into all of that, Uber prices IPO at $45. Uber is said to raise $8.1 billion in IPO, pricing shares at $45 each. That, again, breaking news, the headline crossing the Bloomberg terminal just within the last 60 seconds. Uber is said to raise $8.1 billion in IPO and pricing its shares at $45 each, $45 each. For those uber shares as the analysis, as the reporting continues, so will I. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm joined in studio tonight by Shannon Pettypiece, Bloomberg News White House reporter. Dave Brown is a Democratic strategist, a former advisor to Senator Patty Murray and Bob Kuzak. Bob Kuzak, a friend of the program. He's editor in chief at The Hill. Check out all of their reporting at The Hill. Dot com. Shannon, it was a crazy day in trade talks. But every day is a crazy day in trade talks. <laughs> so we're awaiting tonight, while the Uber IPO news is breaking, by the way, we're awaiting tonight the Chinese delegation to meet. I guess they're going to have dinner with U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. And President Trump... He had, a, he had more to say today about the U.S.-China trade talks. The backdrop to all of this is midnight tonight, 12.01 a.m., billions of dollars worth of Chinese goods. They're, they're tariffed. They're tariffed at 10%. They're going to go all the way up to 25%. And the president, for his part, he was talking to reporters at the White House. I was there. I was like, "What is what's going to happen next? He says he gets a letter from... President Xi Jinping of China. Bring us up to speech, him.
4: A very beautiful letter at that, I believe. He <laughs> made sure to say several times. So it's going to be interesting how the Chinese respond to this, because I'm not a trade expert on, I'm not a China negotiations expert, but I talked to one once. And the the sense is that Chinese do not negotiate well with a gun against their head. And that's what Trump is trying to do here. What
2: if you have Trump against your head?
4: They are concerned, and which my colleagues have reported on, of getting themselves in a North Korea situation where they are embarrassed, where Trump walks out of some meeting, where they lose face. Uh, They are afraid of looking weak uh, against Trump, if he puts tariffs on, and they don't retaliate. So, uh, I'm not sure. We kind of got an idea earlier this week that the Chinese weren't going to be as uh, enthusiastic about these trade talks as Trump wanted. He went back and forth, but I think it is really a fragile place these two are at. And Trump, for all his deal making, um, you know, claims. We're two years in, and there really isn't some great deal yet that he can take credit for negotiating.
2: So, President Trump, Bob, President Trump is at a rally last night in Panama City Beach, mm-hmm. and this is what this is why I, I, I one of the many reasons I love my job is that the policy is actually trickling out there onto the campaign trail, and the president talked about many things in that in that signature Trumpian rally last evening, but he also talked about China. Take a listen to what President Trump had to say last night in Panama City Beach about China.
3: They broke the deal. They can't do that. So they'll be paying. If we don't make the deal. Nothing wrong with taking in over $100 billion a year. $100 billion. We never did that before.
2: He mentions the hundred billion dollars. He mentioned it in a tweet earlier this week when he attacked former Vice President Joe Biden. Both of them are going after the same type of union workers to try to win. President Trump says he would be tougher against China. So as Shannon just said, Bob Kusak, editor in chief of the Hill newspaper, as Shannon just said, he's he's saying that he will be more aggressive on that. The Chinese are on edge. They're taking off from Beijing to come to Washington. The president has that to say, but then take a listen to what he said at the White House earlier today, praising the Chinese. Here he is.
3: I have no idea what's going to happen. I did <coughs> get last night a very beautiful letter from President Xi. Let's work together. Let's see if we can get something done.
5: So what is it, Bob? Uh, listen, I think the chances of a, a deal with China have gone down dramatically. Early this year, I thought there was going to be a deal. Where's the motivation for China? I mean, their, their economy is struggling a bit compared to what it used to be. Trump's motivation, of course, is to keep the economy roaring, and this deal, if it unravels, would certainly, and the tariffs on top of it, could hurt the economy, and that hurts his presidential bid. You know, the, the, the fact that China has reportedly backed away from stuff that they agreed to do really rattled the White House, and that's what led to the tweet over the weekend from the president, and you mentioned his speech last night. I think that Trump feels he's got to get some leverage back. Um, but, you know, I, I think I can see the administration focusing, which is another uphill battle, of trying to get the new NAFTA through Congress. That could be their top priority. Uh, if they get one of the deals in, through uh, and, or strike a deal with China, that would be fantastic. But right now it's looking like zero for two. Dave,
2: uh, Bob makes a good a good point in terms of NAFTA 2.0 or USMCA. That needs congressional ratification. A U.S.-China trade deal doesn't which is fascinating in the sense that it's the world's two largest economies that are negotiating a trade deal, and Congress won't even have to give it the stamp of approval. So how significant of a deal could it be if it doesn't need congressional approval? Then I can already hear folks in their cars driving home from work saying it's the world's two biggest economies. Of course it's a big deal. It is a big deal. My point is, to Bob's point – Congressional appetite for this is increasingly getting skeptical and not just from Democrats, from Republicans, especially on these tariffs.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I I think the window for NAFTA 2.0 if it hasn't already completely closed, it's, it's dramatically, dramatically uh, slim to, to nearly none, in part because these are really challenging votes. They're challenging votes for Democrats who straddle the spectrum when it comes to free trade issues. And they're also very challenging votes for Republicans who, while historically have been free traders, have you're seeing a bit of a political realignment in response to Trump and Trump's policies, which, which really are not traditional Republican policies when it comes to trade. So I think NAFTA 2.0, very challenging. You also have to, of course, put this in the broader political context, not only of 2020, but also just what's playing out inside the beltway today, yesterday, the the uh, administration's decision of Stonewall on repeated requests for documents from House Democrats, all of these things factor into an appetite and a willingness for Nancy Pelosi to be able to bring her caucus together for any kind of actual legislating. And so order of priority, Kev, is it infrastructure first, then NAFTA 2.0? I mean, there's really, there's only several things you can do, if anything, with this calendar heading into 2020.
2: All right, coming up. We're going to talk about those investigations. We're going to talk about uh, more, obviously, on the U.S.-China trade talks. The S&P 500, by the way, declined for a fourth consecutive session, leaving the index on pace for its worst week of the year. The worst week of the year. Uh, This is the U.S.-China trade talks is what's dominating the discourse. All of the All of the jockeying on Wall Street, I've said it once, I'll say it again, they have their eye on Washington. They have their eye not on the the noise, they have their eye on the policy. The S&P 500 declining for a fourth consecutive session, leaving the index on pace for its worst week of the year. This according to my colleagues reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal. Speaking of which, Uber, breaking news on the Bloomberg Terminal. Uber raised $8.1 billion in its initial public offering after pricing shares near the bottom of their marketed range. The IPO price gives Uber a market valuation of $75.5 billion. That's just below its last private market value of $76 billion. Are you an Uber? The price per share, $45 price per share. Coming up, panel stage, Shannon Pettypiece of Bloomberg News, Bob Kuzak, Editor-in-Chief of The Hill, and Dave Brown, a Democratic strategist. You can download the SoundOn podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading my favorite app, the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore.
2: Breaking news. Breaking news. Off of Wall Street, Uber, Uber has raised $8.1 billion in its initial public offering after pricing shares near the bottom of their marketed range. Meanwhile, the ride-hailing company sold 180 million shares for $45 each $45 a share uber $45 a share they've raised 8.1 billion in their initial ipo they this gives them a market valuation of 75.5 billion that's just below, folks. That is just below the private market value of $76 billion. Uber, $8.1 billion in their initial IPO, $45 a share. I'm reading the headlines off of the Bloomberg terminal. I'm Kevin cerilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio All-Star Panel. Bob Kuzak, Editor-in-Chief at The Hill. Check out their reporting at thehill.com. Shannon Pettypiece, Bloomberg News White House reporter. Dave Brown. Democratic strategist and former advisor to Senator Patty Murray. How's Patty doing, Dave?
3: She's great. She, she's, yeah, she's really great. Doing good. She's doing really well. Right. Thanks for asking.
2: You know, oh, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, back on the investigation front, Dave. What? So, so you get all of this news last night? President Trump. He's down in Panama City Beach, and he gives this Trumpian uh, rally signature. Trump. He's talking U.S. China trade policy which we've covered earlier. We'll go back to that coming up. Uh, But he also talked about the Mueller investigation. And his son, his son, Donald Trump Jr., gets subpoenaed, not by the Democrats, by the Republicans. Shocked everybody. (laughs) Yesterday, he gets a subpoena from from the Republican-controlled Senate Intelligence Committee. And I mean, the comments coming out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue today from Mick Mulvaney and the like, the president's chief of staff, about just how they were blindsided by this. But I want to play a bit, Dave, and get your response to what President Trump had to say about Bob Mueller, Bob Mueller, Billy Martin's Bob Mueller. Here's President Trump on Bob Mueller.
3: Bob Mueller is no friend of mine. I had conflicts with him. We had a business dispute. We had uh, somebody that is in love with James Comey. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, ask the question. I'm sorry. So, no, there is no.
2: Why don't you, what's going I mean, go ahead.
3: First of all, every time you say Trumpian, Kevin, I think you need to work on your pronunciation because I hear dystopian oh. every time. Oh, um,
2: I thought the Delco accent was going to come
3: back <laughs> and I was going to get yelled at. Uh, so, so a couple of things. What he's doing there, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, he's flip-flopped back and forth on how he talks about Bob Mueller, but he's trying to establish a foundation for a conflict of interest. So if he ever has to make a subsequent argument that Mueller should have recused himself because of an apparent conflict over business interests, he's laying that foundation. He's done that before. It's not new. Um,
5: yeah, I mean, he, he, Mueller did put in his report that he was a member of the Trump club, uh, and I think for the reasons that he wasn't going to be – he was moving, he wasn't going to be in the area, I believe. But he put that in the report, so it wasn't like he was hiding it or anything right. But I right. agree with you that he's trying to lay the groundwork for for going after Mueller in any way because he knows that I think at some point it was initially going to be possibly May 15th next week that Mueller's going to testify. It's probably not going to be then. But he's going to testify at some point. It's going to be a historic day of testimony. And that day is probably not going to be a great day for Donald Trump.
3: I think that's right. And I also think that that the fact that they've asserted a – preventative or protective uh, executive privilege complicates this, too, in terms of how damaging Mueller's testimony will be in terms of what is and is not in the public sphere.
4: So, I mean, there has been this public attack going on, this uh, smear campaign in a way against Mueller for a long time, attacking his investigation, trying to discredit his investigation. So when a report came out that Trump's legal team and advisors knew would not be, you know, completely favorable. They would have some way to discredit this. This business dispute he's talking about has to do with golf fees in his golf club. And it was something he told his advisors about at the time. And I heard people were telling me and they almost found it laughable that the president would think that Bob Mueller was going to write a nasty report on him because of a golf fees dispute. Um, This Trump brings up just a fact check two other things in there because I heard all the backstory on this. Trump brings up that uh, Mueller wanted the FBI. FBI director job and was upset he didn't get it. My my reporting indicates Mueller did talk to Trump about the job but was never interviewed or never offered the job. He took the special counsel's job the next day so he never had a chance to offer it.
2: So if I'm in my car driving home from work and I'm hearing all of this, you've got like three top line questions. One, will Bob Mueller testify? Two, why did the Republicans subpoena Donald Trump Jr.? And three, is A.G. Barr finally going to get through the House and, and offer testimony from the House? Speaking of, of uh, Barr, by the way, the president also had a lot to say about uh, House Judiciary Committee chairman Jerry Nadler, a Democrat from New York. Here's President Trump on Jerry
3: Nadler. Here he is. Guys like Jerry Nadler, who I fought for many years successfully, I might add, back in New York in Manhattan. He was a Manhattan congressman. I beat him all the time, and I come to Washington, and now I have to beat him again.
2: So, Bob, put it in context in terms of the three points that we just discussed. One being will Mueller – will he have his day in Congress? Mm -hmm. Two, the Republican subpoena Donald Trump Jr. And three, A.G. Barr – it's, a, it's it's like a, it's like a circus still.
5: It is. It is. I mean, I, I do think Mueller at some point will testify. I think there are a lot of questions for Mueller, especially as he, if he's going to contradict what Barr told Congress. Um, and I also think that it's very interesting, as you mentioned, the Intelligence Committee of the Senate, headed by Senator Burr, uh, who is taking a lot of incoming now from fellow Republicans, why he issued the subpoena to Trump Jr. Uh, now, remember, Burr is not running for reelection. He's up in 2022. 20, this is his last term, so they can't get him electorally, um, and I think he's probably taking more shots than normal because, well, you know, he's he's going to be leaving the Senate. So overall, I think the and, and then Barr, I don't know what's going to happen with Barr. I thought maybe they would get a deal before you know, the, but now they're down the road of uh, of of what they brought against Barr and contempt and and impeachment. People are talking about, and it's a matter of when it hits the when it hits the House floor. Nancy Pelosi has said. Well, well, we'll decide that down the road. But I, I don't think the temperatures are going to necessarily be lowered now.
2: All right. Fascinating. Uh, Shannon, I know you got to run and get back to reporting. Shannon Pettypiece, thanks for stopping by. My colleague here at Bloomberg, she is the Bloomberg News White House reporter. That's Shannon Pettypiece. Panel stays. Dave Brown, Democratic strategist, and Bob Kuzak, of course, editor-in-chief of The Hill. Meanwhile, my uh, Bloomberg, Bloomberg Television uh, coordinating field producer, David Sucherman, just sent me a text. Secretary Mnuchin and the chinese delegation they are they have walked in to the us trade representative building those us china trade talks underway meanwhile breaking news on the bloomberg terminal uber 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 raising $8.1 billion in its initial IPO, $45 a share. Uber's market valuation coming in just below the private market value of $76 billion. Its market valuation came in at $75.5 billion. You can download the SoundOn podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also check us out on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And you are listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cerilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore.
2: Happy Friday eve. Breaking news on the Bloomberg Terminal. Uber, Uber, Uber raising 8.1 billion dollars in its initial IPO and the ride-hailing company sold 180 million shares for $45 each. 45 bucks per share. Their market valuation came in at 75.5 billion dollars. That's just below the last private market value of 76 billion. But again, Uber raising 8.1 billion in its initial IPO, selling 180 million shares for 45 bucks per share. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Trade talks underway at the U.S. Trade Representative Building. Chinese Vice Premier Le Hua his meeting with treasury secretary steven mnuchin u.s trade representative bob lighthizer the other big bob in washington dc bob kuzak is here in studio with us bob is the editor-in-chief of the hill you can read all of their reporting at the hill.com dave brown has also stuck around he is the democratic strategist and former senior advisor to senator patty murray we were talking about uh The the investigations, Dave, uh, uh, earlier in the program, and we're talking specifically about what it means for Democrats. I want to play for you what House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the Democrat from California, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, what she said in terms of the big bombshell that came out this week, which was the House Judiciary Committee, controlled by the Dems, voted to hold Attorney General William Barr in contempt. Take a listen to what Speaker Pelosi had to say about whether or not that will get a floor vote.
0: Here she is. The president is almost self-impeaching because he is every day demonstrating more obstruction of justice.
2: So there she is, and she doesn't say whether or not there's going to be a, a House vote on the floor against Barr or timetable on that. So what do you think is going to happen, Dave?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think there there are a few interesting. Legal and, and institutional considerations in play, right? So institutionally, you've got 2 coequal branches of government, one of which the executive now saying we are going to stonewall not just this subpoena, this request for documents, but essentially every request from the House, uh, Democratic-controlled House. That is problematic from an institutional perspective because uh, – Congress has a right, it has a legislative prerogative, it has a, a legitimate purpose to ask for these documents, or so would say members of the House. And so they're looking at both the near-term political calculus but also the broader institutional issues. Legally, uh, the fact that the administration, the President, yesterday, I believe, asserted protective executive privilege, which is different from an actual executive privilege over the totality of the request for documents from the House Judiciary Committee has actually given Attorney General Barr some wiggle room, because it's the DOJ's position that you can't hold someone in contempt if execu- executive privilege has been asserted. So that actually, I think, will delay the floor vote while the House Dems sort through their strategy and their go forward.
5: Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think that Nancy Pelosi, I mean, she doesn't want to go down the impeachment road. Uh, her moderate members, who are the majority makers, uh, they want to talk about... An agenda. They want to move health care. They want to move transportation. I think it's going to be very difficult. I think if anything big moves uh, in the House that has any chance of actually becoming law would be it has to move before the August recess. But everyone is talking about really the 2020 election. So the policymaking really happens after that. But I I do think there is a problem for the the Democrats, and it would be interesting what you think on – you know, investigation fatigue. Are we going to still be f- talking about investigations into 2020? And does that is that going to hurt the moderates who are in tough districts? I, and Trump I think districts?
3: I think that's exactly right. And and if you look at polling, <laughs> what primary voters and frankly voters care about, and especially looking back to 18 suburban women college educated women flipped for Democrats they gave us the house in many respects I mean these are people who are not focused on the Mueller saga as it plays out every day inside the beltway so I think you're making a really important point the speaker is very focused on that in terms of being able not only to tell to tell a story and have messaging that's supportive of a broader agenda kitchen table issues health care infrastructure cost of education cost of child care you name it all the issues that Democrats are likely going to run on um, but she doesn't want to give Trump an open opening to say Democrats just care about scoring political points.
2: All right. It's where the investigation impacts the policy. Wall Street also uh, keeping a close eye on it, but not as much of an eye as they are on the U.S.-China trade talks. Coming up, Dave Brown stays, Bob sticks around, uh, and we'll talk more about U.S.-China trade talks and what it means for the presidential election. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me as well as my colleagues on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I am Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore.
2: Did you see this on the Bloomberg Terminal? Uber. Uber has priced their shares at $45 a share. Their initial IPO came in at, I will read it for you right now on the Bloomberg Terminal, they came in at $8.1 billion in their initial IPO. They sold 180 million shares for $45 each. And that gives the San Francisco-based Uber a market valuation of $75.5 billion. That's just below, though, just below the last private market value of $76 billion. So, Big news for Uber. Headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal as we speak within the last hour. $8.1 billion in their initial IPO. They sold 180 million shares for 45 bucks a share. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We're keeping a careful watch on the U.S. Trade Representative building, where Bob Lighthizer, the U.S. Trade Rep, and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin are meeting with Chinese Vice Premier Liu Hua. On the U.S.-China trade talks, with me for the hour, Bob Kuzak. Bob Kuzak, he is editor in chief of the Hill newspaper. You can check out all of their reporting at thehill.com. And Dave Brown, he is one of the show's favorite Democratic strategists. But there are many Democratic strategists who are <laughs> friends of the show, Dave. Who come wow, on? Wow! Wow! Adrian Elrod will be on tomorrow. <laughs> Kevin Walling has been on. Oh, oh Capri wow! Capri Cafaro, but she wow. does not like to be called a Democratic strategist. But Dave Brown is a Democratic strategist, and he has also worked for Senator Patty Murray. I want to I want to bring it back to trade because, really, of all the president's tweets this week, the one that stuck out the most, Bob, was when he went after Biden, and he went after Biden on trade, and he said, "I can be more tough on trade uh, than than Joe Biden can be, or tough on trade against China." I think, as the former Vice President pals around with some of these union bosses, uh, I think that that has the attention of President Trump. We're going to come back to that because we are joined on the telephone line by a, a another presidential candidate, uh, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, she is, of course, the Democrat representing Hawaii. Uh, Congresswoman, thank you very much for joining us on the line. I, I want to get your response this week on what has come out about the administration's policies regarding Iran. Uh, they have said they have issued tariffs uh, and banned uh, the trading of, of de- various commodities coming out of Iran and obviously the, the, the developments with in the recent weeks of not having waivers for countries to do business with Iran. Your response, Congresswoman?
6: Aloha. It's good to talk to you. And I'm glad that you're, you're bringing this issue up because, unfortunately, it hasn't really gotten much coverage even though – we are facing uh, the the dangerous prospect of a potential war uh, with Iran. And then the American people need to know um, that that is the eventual outcome if we continue down the path that we're on. Uh, Really what it comes down to is because President Trump withdrew from the Iran nuclear agreement, now is Iran's announcement one year after that withdrawal occurred, they're basically... Uh, talking about beginning their nuclear program again in earnest, creating uh, a, a greater threat for the American people and for the world, a greater nuclear threat. And I can tell you as a soldier, you know, I've served in the Army National Guard for 16 years. I've deployed twice to the Middle East, served in Congress for over six years on the Foreign Affairs and Armed Services Committees, and I'm very concerned that this president is allowing John Bolton who was one of the main architects and advocates for the Iraq War, to dictate our policies towards Iran and to lead us closer and closer to war uh, against Iran. We've got to recognize that a war with Iran will be far more dangerous, uh, far more costly both in lives as well as in American taxpayer dollars, Uh, It will strengthen Al-Qaeda and ISIS, create a greater refugee crisis in Europe. Uh, All all of these consequences being far greater than anything that we saw happen in Iraq. Democratic president...
2: Democratic presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard, a congresswoman representing uh, Hawaii, joining us on the telephone line. We're talking about Iran policy. This as uh, the administration, the Trump administration, has uh, not renewed waivers for a host of different countries, including China, to do business, some business uh, with Iran. Uh, Congresswoman, what I'm hearing from you is – I, I know you're going to get mad, but it's 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 similar, not the same. Similar from the argument that candidate Donald Trump made. He said that he would not run as an interventionist. He that he did not want to have the U.S. fighting wars in which it 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 couldn't afford. From a, you, as as a serving as a veteran, how would you handle the threat of a nuclear Iran? Should you be in the White House?
6: Uh, well, you're you know you're right. Donald Trump ran on ending stupid wars, ending regime change wars, unfortunately, as president, he has betrayed his supporters and gone back on those promises, gone back on those commitments, where he's created a cabinet of neocon war hawks surrounding him who are doing exactly the opposite of what he promised to do during his campaign, to the point where we find ourselves continuing a regime change effort in Syria. Uh, We still have troops deployed to Afghanistan, and now we're on the brink of of a regime-change war in both Venezuela and Iran. So, if I were president, first of all, I I would not have pulled out of the Iran nuclear agreement, and if I'm elected, I uh, I will make sure that we reinstate that agreement and deal with any other issues and problems with Iran's other activities outside of the nuclear agreement separately. By pulling out of the Iran nuclear agreement, which really kept Iran from developing their nuclear weapons program, uh, Trump's actions have actually freed Iran to move forward with that program, which undermines our own national right. security. And, and it's also undermined uh, another important objective of ours, uh, which is to ultimately denuclearize the Korean Peninsula. You know, Trump's tearing up that Iran nuclear agreement has made it far less likely that North Korea would be willing to sign an agreement to give up their nuclear weapons. Congresswoman, it's setting a very dangerous precedent. Congresswoman
2: Tulsi Gabbard joining us on the line. She is a Democratic presidential candidate. I wish we had more time. You'll have to call in uh, another time. But one final question for you, Congresswoman, and that is when I hear you talking about foreign policy and, and it, it, you're in such a crowded Democratic presidential primary, do you think, and would you be willing to name who you think, some of those Democratic presidential candidates who are running for president or, that you're running against – who you would say maybe are a bit more neocon than than you would like?
6: Uh, no, I, I, I'm focused on, on bringing my message and what I stand for to the American people and to voters and to let them know that I'm running for president to bring a soldier's values to the White House, the values of respect, uh, dignity, honor, and service, putting the interests of the American people above all else at the forefront, not the interests of powerful self-serving politicians or the rich and powerful or or greedy corporations and making this commitment to the american people that as commander-in-chief i will end our long-standing foreign policy of carrying out these wasteful regime change wars Uh, i will work to end the new cold war nuclear arms race and to take the trillions of dollars that, that have been wasted on these on these programs and invest it in serving the needs of the American people. Things like infrastructure, right. health care, education. There's so much and, that we need to do.
2: And there's so much we got to talk about, but we're up against a heartbreak. Congresswoman, uh, Democratic presidential you. candidate, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, a Democrat from Hawaii. Appreciate the time. Thank you very much for calling in to Bloomberg Sound On. Also, thanks to Bob Kuzak and Dave Brown. That's it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Yeah.